Uh, it's up here, and it's for not just my benefit, benefit, but for yours. You can snap a picture of it if you want, or like I said, you can get smaller uh, the, the images of it. Uh, we use it, or I use it for Revelation especially, and so we're now in Revelation chapter 5, if you would turn there tonight. Uh, winding up chapter number 5, we got down to about verse number 11. And so we'll be in uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, verse 14. And then we're going to take up chapter 16, just 17 verses in that chapter. But that's the one where anybody that sees something to do with Revelation, they always see the picture of the apocalypse. They love to talk about that with Revelation and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, you can see up here in the chart, you've got the four horsemen that are here in Revelation. Uh, I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid, and I remember the four horsemen that were wrestlers. And uh, uh, everybody likes the, the four horsemen, and they think about Revelation. Well, that gets into chapter, that's in chapter number six. We're going to try to get into some of that tonight as well. But let's take up where we were uh, in chapter five and verse number 11. But before we do that, let's once again go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, as we come to you in prayer tonight, we ask for your, your blessing and your hand upon me and upon all of us tonight as we study your word. Lord, I ask for strength physically and spiritually. I ask, Lord, for the mental ability to be able to take the word of God and to take it, Lord, and expound upon it uh, verse by verse, word upon word, as you lead us tonight in this study. I'm thankful, Lord, for those that have gathered together tonight in this building to study your word and to fellowship together. And Lord, I know that there's still churches that can't meet. There's churches that don't have the doors open uh, presently. So I thank you tonight that we can have this opportunity to gather together. I'm also thankful for those that may be watching online. I even got feedback today from someone that was a blessing to me. That's watching many states away and they were sharing their thoughts of, uh, of what a blessing it's been to them. And Lord, I don't know them personally, but... I'm thankful, Lord, that the outreach of our church is not just here, but, Lord, it expands uh, near and far. And I pray that you continue to build upon that. And Lord, I pray now that you give us the blessing that you so promised for the hearing and the reading and the study of the book of Revelation. And I pray, Lord, that you teach us what you want us to understand from it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And I ask for your prayer tonight. I'm dealing with some allergies. And so I may have to cough a little bit. I do not have COVID. It's allergies. I can promise I'll probably sneeze and I'll prove it here in a minute. Uh, but uh, we're in Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and uh, the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. In verse number 11, it talks about the host of heaven. Uh, we find that the number is given, and the way we would read this today would be millions, really. Uh, he says that it's ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Uh, the Bible also tells us that it's an innumerable company of angels. Uh, just like the night sky when you see the stars. I saw a program recently that said on average, on a good starry night, you could count with the naked eye about 5,000 stars on a starry night. Uh, and yet we know that 5,000 is not even scratching the surface of the number of billions upon billions upon trillions of stars that are out there. Well, the same thing with angels. They're like stars and they're compared to stars of the Bible. That's why you've got a place called Hollywood. That means holy wood. Out in Los Angeles, the city of angels, where there's movie stars. And if they're a movie star, they get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They get a star in their dressing room and all of that. There's, there's a lot of connections to these things in the Bible and not in a positive way. Uh, but there are stars and there are angels. And the angels, 
It says uh, there in verse 11 are an innumerable company of angels. Verse number 12 says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. There's seven blessings, seven things that are mentioned about the name of the Lord here. Uh, unto him they cry, unto the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, who is slain to receive one power, two riches, three wisdom, four strength, five honor, six glory, and seven blessings. So seven things that they praise to the Lamb of God. He is worthy tonight. To receive all of those things and so much more. He is worthy tonight to receive the power and the riches. Not the earthly riches, but riches that are out of this world. Uh, the wisdom, the strength, the honor, the glory and blessing. Verse 13, John amens and echoes that very thought. He says in verse number 13, he said, And I heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power to him that sitteth upon the throne. But look at the beginning of verse 13. And every creature which is under heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say. What they hear him saying, blessing and honor and glory and power. All right, wait a second. We, I've never heard that. You've never heard that. We read it tonight, but I've never heard that. There's never been an announcement on the news. Uh, we've got this breaking news report to tell you there's a man by the name of John who is exclaiming. They're hearing this in the Himalayas. They're hearing this in the desert. They're hearing this in the depths of the ocean as they have submarines down there praising the Lord. It's never happened yet. This is a great example of all of this being future fulfillment. And yet it happened in the past. Now, I don't want to kind of get too, you know, too complicated with this. We've all seen back to the future. Amen. Don't act like you've never seen Back to the Future. If you've never seen Back to the Future, we'll talk after the service because uh, you've got to have a little culture. Uh, you, you've got to see Back to the Future. And Marty McFly and going back in time and getting in his DeLorean and uh, going back in time. Okay, science fiction is not too far away from a lot of biblical truth. And uh, someone said every bad thing or every fictional thing, every false thing is a good thing that's been twisted or tweaked. And, uh, and most of these things are built on scriptural principles. Uh, there is no time machine that you can jump in. But we know this. God is the alpha of the ages and he's also the omega of the ages. He is the first and the last. He is that which is and was and is to come. He is the past, the present and the future. That's why John is told to write the things which thou hast seen. That's the past. The things which are the present in his day and the things that shall be hereafter. And so John says this, even though he said it in the past, he actually hasn't said it yet, it's in the future. Now if that don't bake your noodle a little bit tonight, I don't know what will, but it certainly does me. Uh, it's prophetic, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is history written before it happens. And so he's prophetically uttering these things that the whole world's gonna hear him say, it says even the creatures are going to hear him say on earth, blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. And the four beasts said amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now, we won't take time to go through those passages tonight, but you know the Bible says that in the future, whether you want to believe it or not, it may sound far-fetched to you and me, but if you believe the Bible like I believe it tonight, in the future, even nature itself is going to praise God at some point. I don't completely profess to understand that, but I do know this. I do know in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, that Jesus said that the rocks could cry out and praise him if he wanted them to. I know in Isaiah 55, verse 12, uh, the Bible tells us that the rocks and, and the mountains are going to praise the Lord. and The trees are going to clap their hands. The branches of the trees are going to sing praise and clap and applaud and give honor and glory to the Lord God Almighty at some point. The Old Testament says that the waves of the ocean are, are going to roar in praise and glory to the one that sitteth upon the throne. Look back in Psalms chapter 148 tonight. Psalms chapter 148. This is uh, getting close to the end of the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms there. There's Psalms 148 in verse number 1. By the way, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. They make a declaration. Now, we always use that as a proof text 
against evolution and, and attest to the, the, the fact of creation. But declaration is, is a, a form of verbally praising as well. And one day the heavens are going to literally praise God. They're going to literally sing honor and glory to God. Psalm 148 verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him his angels. Praise ye him all his hosts. Praise ye him. Uh, uh, and he says sun and moon. Praise him ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. That's something NASA don't even realize tonight. That's called an advanced revelation in the Bible. NASA hasn't discovered it, but there's a body of water before the throne of God that's beyond the heaven and the heaven of heavens. Uh, let the, 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 them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and the heaven. He also exalted the horn of the people, of his people, the praise of all of his saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. I'm telling you, one day, everything's going to praise the Lord. Everything, every rock, every tree, every angel, every seraphim, every cherub, every saint of God is going to praise the Lord. And in fact, Philippians tells us, that one day every knee will bow and profess and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. Every atheist, every agnostic, every infidel, uh, every person that denies the Bible, that denies the existence of God, every movie star, every person of, of influence in the world, every king, everyone, and praise God, even the devil himself is going to bow his knee and confess in defeat that Jesus Christ is Lord one day. I've got a front row seat to that event. I don't know about you. I hope you're going to be there. I want you to be there. We're going to see it. And uh, I'd rather bow my knee now than have to bow it later. We'll bow it later too, but then it'll be forced. You can bow it voluntarily now and profess that Jesus is the Lord. Verse number 14, he says they worshiped him. That liveth forever and ever. That ushers in chapter number 6. And now we break into a section of Revelation. That deals with the familiar uh, uh, sevens in the book of Revelation. I don't know if your eyes can see this tonight or not. But we start here in chapter 6 with the seven seals. We're going to see that it begins with this seven sealed book. That we read about in chapter number 5. Sealed with seven seals. And remember John says. He said that he cried because no one was worthy. To open the book. Uh, to loosen the seals thereof. He said but the Lamb of God. That sitteth upon the throne. He was worthy to open the book. So the seven seals are beginning to open. The first is the white horse. Followed by the red, the black and the pale. As you can see these horses that are here. What will follow will be the souls of the martyrs. Uh, of the martyrs uh, of the Lord. And physical changes that will take place within the earth. And then there is going to be an interval. And then silence with that seal. What will follow will be trumpets, and then we talk about personages, and then the vials and the dooms that are yet ahead that are coming. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say much about that now. I'll save that for a moment. But some people uh, believe that Revelation is repeating the same thing four times. And so that could be, that's kind of the way I like to look at it. And so these things that are, that are written in a chronological way as far as the chapter and the flow of Revelation... But it could be that each of these are under one another and it's just a different way of explaining the things that are happening on the earth. Now, a lot of people, in fact, I had somebody this week said, uh, they, not from our church, but they uh, emailed me and they said, I believe we're in the tribulation now. What's going to follow in Revelation uh, from chapter 6 on through proved beyond any shadow of a doubt to me we are not in the tribulation right now. 
uh, when we're going to see things that are going to take place with the sun and the moon, the sun's going to be turned uh, uh, to, uh, in verse number 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell at, to the earth as a fig tree cast at their time. Folks, we're not experiencing that right now. That's not happening right now. Yes, there's been earthquakes. That's a sign of the last days. But you're not seeing, we're not talking about a solar eclipse or even a lunar eclipse. We're not talking about just a momentary darkness that lasts for a few moments. We're talking about something that happens to this earth that literally shakes the elements and the foundation of the earth in a way that has never happened since the beginning of time. Uh, skipping ahead, look in verse 14. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island removed out of their places. That's not happened yet. It will happen. But it hasn't happened in the past. It's not happened presently. So what I'm basically saying is it's fixing to get worse for this world, although we're not in the middle of this thing yet. I believe the Lord's going to call us out before it. But go ahead and look at chapter number 6, and we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ will open the first seal. He alone is uh, worthy to open it. The events that are going to follow are known as Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week, if you study the book of Daniel, will find that there is 69 weeks determined in prophecy from the time of Daniel's prophecy to the coming of the Messiah. And he said there's going to be a, it's like putting pause on your, your music player. Uh, I used to say cassette player or VHS, and we don't pause it that way anymore. But we still pause. We just do it in a different way now. But it's like putting pause. Things from this point backward resemble things that will happen this point forward. But we're right here in a gap. And this time is called the times of the Gentiles in Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. It's also called the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans 11, 25, and 26. And so the 69 weeks was determined. Messiah came. He was crucified on the cross and buried they, they, and rose again the third day. They did not make him the king, even though they praised him and heralded him on Palm Sunday as king. He had above his cross uh, an inscription written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek that said, This is the king of the Jews. And he is king, and we know he is king, and he's sitting in the heavens as king, and he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. But they didn't take him into Jerusalem and make him a king. They put him on a cross and crucified him and buried him. Thank God he rose again the third day. He became the first fruits of the resurrection. But the church began. Most people believe on the day of Pentecost. He walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Remember we read in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. But there's coming a time where the church will be over as far as the body of Christ will be finalized and complete. And when that moment happens, this week will begin. And Daniel explains it, it that it is a week. It's called Daniel's 70th week. But each day of the week represents one year in our time. That's how we get a seven-year tribulation period. If you've ever wondered, why do people talk about uh, seven years? That goes back to Daniel, uh, chapter number nine, where he breaks down that one week and being three and a half years and three and a half years. And I'm not great at math, but I can add those two numbers up. And I'm not going to accept it. And so uh, there's seven days in a week. It's called Daniel's 70th week. And yet there's one day for each year. Just like when Israel wandered out of the wilderness, they wandered 40 years. Why? Because 40 days it took them to make the decision to not go in the promised land. When they went down to the valley of Eskel, they spied out the land, and they came back with their report, and they doubted God. And yet Caleb and Joshua said, we can go in and defeat them. And for 40 days, instead of trusting God, they rebelled against God and said, no, we can't go in there. It's impossible. And so God said, I'm going to make you wander one day, uh, one year for every day that it took for you to disobey me. So they wandered for 40 years for 40 days. Well, this will be seven years for seven days in that prophetical week. It's also called, called the time of Jacob's troubles. That's in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. 
And Jacob, of course, is Israel. That was his name before God gave him the name of Israel. So it's the time of not America's troubles, although I'm sure America will be in trouble. It's not called the time of China's trouble. It's not called the time of, of Africa's trouble. It's called the time of Jacob's troubles. Because God has a plan and a purpose to deal with Israel. And that's why these events are centered around Jerusalem. The nations are coming against Jerusalem. The invaders are coming against Jerusalem. The battle of Armageddon, Armageddon, Megiddo, that's a valley in Israel. It's not a valley out in Arizona or someplace. It's in Israel. So God has a plan in this time of, uh, of trouble in Daniel chapter 12, verse number 1. And it's going to begin with the opening of these seals. The first one is found in verse number 1 of chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard as it were the noise of thunder. Thunder is always associated with the voice of God. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened a third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld a low a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed after him. And power was given to him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now I'm going to stop there tonight and I'll read any further. And I want to explain a couple of things, best as I know how anyway, to explain a couple of things about these seals. And it, it parallels these seals with the beasts that are mentioned, the first beast. There is the white horse, the second beast, the red horse, the third beast, the black horse, and the fourth beast, a pale horse. And of course, last week we talked about those beasts, those cherub, are mentioned to have a face. And it tells us in the previous chapter what those faces are. The first beast is a lion. The second beast is a calf. The third beast is like a man, a, a man's face. And the fourth beast is like a flying eagle. So that tells us that each one of these bees are connected with these riders on the horses. Now, I can't give you a whole lot more than that than to simply say that. They're, the lion is connected with the first uh, uh, horse rider that is there because the lion is the picture, the face of the first beast that is mentioned. So the first beast, that goes back to chapter 4, verse number 7. Now, the identity of this rider is, to me, no mystery. But if you read a lot of books about Revelation, if you read commentaries, they almost all try to make the first horse rider the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll say, well, that's the Lord Jesus. And the reason they get that is because we find that he comes back as well on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19 uh, in verse 7 through 9. So they say, well, here comes somebody on a white horse. Here's somebody on a white horse that must be the same person. It does make a difference who this horse rider is. Because if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, then we get into a whole lot of mess about things prophetically that deals with things you probably heard me talk about, other preachers talk about, with a, a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, or a premillennial view, or an amillennial view, or a postmillennial view. And I'm not going to bore you all with a lot of that stuff tonight. I'll simply say I'm a premillennialist, and uh, that's just a fancy way of saying I believe the Bible. And if you read the Bible as it stands, you come to a pre-tribulation concept of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church in the air, and that's called the harvest. And the harvest, Jesus was the first fruits. The harvest is the rapture of the church. That's where the Bible says he comes like a thief in the night. 
That's where he comes in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we'll be changed in a moment. The twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ. That's all of those that have died in Christ. Here's the grave. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive at that moment. Shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. And meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so I believe the Bible teaches. The church is going to be called out. Before the tribulation. If the church is not called out, then you only have a couple other options. Either we have to go through at least seven more years, and I'm not trying to use the term to be vulgar, but literal hell on earth. So the church, it, it, we know we'd at least have seven years. Seven is a fixed number that nobody really can argue against without changing the Bible. That the Bible does say it'll be a period of seven years. So either we'll have to go all the way through it, and everybody will have to either deny the mark and be executed uh, or will be martyred or some people believe in a mid-tribulation rapture which is a partial truth because there is the two witnesses that will be raptured out when we get to Revelation chapter 11. They'll be caught up after their dead bodies lay in the street for uh, for a period of time and they see them and their life comes back into them and they, heaven opens and they go up or we have to wait and go through the whole tribulation and then wait for the Lord to come back at the end of it. Or, as some people believe, there's not going to be any rapture. There's not going to be any second coming. There's not going to be any kingdom that's coming to this world. And so they just take the Bible, and I don't even know why they read it. Uh, and I'm not trying to be mean or rude. I'm just being honest. If you don't believe what God said, then why waste your time reading any of it? Uh, I take God at His word, and that's what I've bet my soul on for all eternity is what his word says, and I'm betting uh, my soul on the fact of God's word uh, in complete confidence that I can stand before God with a clear conscience. And what I believe the Bible teaches about this doesn't mean I'm always right or anybody else is always right. It's just I, I believe in, in studying it and believing it that way in his word. Now, for the identity of the writer, we want to look in Revelation chapter 19. So come to Revelation chapter 19 because this is the big discrepancy between the two. In Revelation chapter number 19, I want us to compare this writer that is here. Verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the capital W, Word of God. The armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed with fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's the description of chapter six of the White Horse Rider. You've got in chapter number six. If you can't see this, I apologize. But in chapter six. You've got the, the white horse rider. And then in chapter number 19, you've got the white horse rider. And so the question is, are they the same? Well, here's what logic teaches us. Things that are different are never the same. That's pretty simple, isn't it? They can't both be different and be the same simultaneously. Well, we know the first speech is the lion. He opens up the seal to the Lord Jesus Christ and meets his presence. And so in chapter 19, verse number 11... He's called faithful and true. Now, there's no doubt who this person is because he's called faithful and true. In chapter uh, 19, verse 13, he's called the Word of God. Now, if, when we talk about the Bible, a lot of times people capitalize W. They'll talk about the Word of God, they'll capitalize it. But actually, that's a title. That's why it's capitalized. Uh, in the Bible, the Word of God is lowercase. Even though we give it honor and reverence, we know that, that it's the inspired Word of God. But we're talking now not just about the inspired Word of God, but the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ Himself. He's not just the Word, by the way. He's the letters. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the whole alphabet and everything in between. In verse 16, He's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Capital K, 
of lowercase t and capital L Lord of lowercase lords. That's his title. There's no doubt who he is. Uh, in, uh, in fact, in verse number 16, it's all capital, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's no mistaking who this writer is. This writer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back with the saints in Revelation 19. And the Bible tells us not only who he is, but exactly what his plans are, who he comes back with, where he's going, and what he's doing. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 19, verse 11, you're told that this white horse rider comes from heaven. In chapter 6, verse 2, it doesn't say anything about him coming from heaven. This one comes from heaven. I'm trying to show you tonight that things that are different are not the same. Uh, in chapter 19, verse number 12, it says that he had many crowns. All right, there is crowns mentioned in chapter 6, but it's just in verse, uh, in, in chapter 6, verse number uh, 2, it just says a crown, singular. So a and many are not the same. Uh, in chapter 6, verse number 2, it says he has a bow in his hand. Now, there's also, just for information's sake, there's no mention of arrows. So, that's important. He's got a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows in a quiver or anything like that that's mentioned. But there's no mention of this rider having any bow in his hand. There's no bow that's there. In chapter 19, in verse 14, the white horse rider is followed by the armies of heaven. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you who that is. That's you and I that are saved tonight. You're going to be in the armies that come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't like horses, you might spend some time around the stable before you get to heaven. Because you're going to ride one when you get to heaven. Uh, I can't fully understand all of that and how that works, but there is horses in heaven. They're supernatural. They don't have to eat to live. They, they don't die in heaven. In fact, we read the Old Testament about uh, chariots that had horses that were a flame of fire. And so uh, that's what came and, uh, and took Elijah up to heaven was chariots of fire, horses of fire. There's several descriptions of horses that are burning like the burning bush, but they're not consumed. It's a heavenly fire. It's a glorified fire. It's like the fire that came down in the day of Pentecost, and it didn't burn them or consume them. It just indwelled them, cloven tongues of fire that were there. So there's no mention of armies following this writer in chapter number 6. What follows this writer is death, not armies. What follows him is hell, not armies. What follows him is famine. No death, no hell, no famines with this right. Now, who do you think could so closely, though, resemble the Lord Jesus Christ and yet not be the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you watched any of those studies we did on the Antichrist, it ought to be pretty clear. The devil himself is the world's greatest imitator. He's the world's greatest uh, uh, faker. He's the world's greatest copycat. The reason he's called the Antichrist is because it's, it doesn't mean against Christ. It's like the antitype of Christ. He wants to be Christ. He portrays himself as Christ. That's why the Bible says that no marvel, for Satan himself transforms himself as an angel of light and as ministers of righteousness. As we talk about some of those studies, Jesus has a city who's a bride. Uh, we've, we've, got a, uh, we've got a marriage that's coming up, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You don't like weddings, you won't like heaven either because you're part of that. And there's going to be a great marriage of the Lamb. No wonder Jesus gave so many parables about marriage in the Gospels. And no wonder his first miracle was about a marriage. The marriage of Cana. It's a type and a picture of our wedding. When we're going to be joined to Jesus Christ forever and ever. He's, he has a, a, a city who's a bride. We talk about the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven. 
in Revelation 21. But Satan also has a city in Revelation 17 who is also his bride. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Satan is called an angel of light. Jesus is said to be king of kings. Satan is called king over the children of pride in Job 41:34. Jesus is called the prince of peace. Satan is called the prince of this world in John 14, verse 30. Jesus is called my Lord and my God. Uh, uh, and Satan is called uh, God, little g, of this world. Jesus said to Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. Satan says to Jesus, it is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is called a roaring, roaring lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It goes on and on. In plainer words tonight, the greatest imitator of the true rider on the horse is Satan himself. He's the Antichrist. My point is this. The church is raptured out. When that first seal is opened up, the white horse will be the revelation of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 talks about the Antichrist and that's what's coming to this world. And if there's anything that I see in the news and what's going on today, it is setting the stage for this white horse rider to appear. And when he appears, he's going to have a message of peace, but that peace is going to be short-lived. And the things that are going to follow him are the worst things that's ever happened to this world. You think it looks rough right now in some of these cities with all the riots and stuff going on. You wait till the church is called out. Right. You wait till the Holy Spirit is gone with the church. And, and there's no churches preaching the word of God anymore. And no missionaries sending out the gospel anymore. And no songs on the radio playing Christian music anymore. And the television, well there's probably going to be some television ministry still going I'm afraid. They might be, there might be a lot of churches that will still have church on Sunday after the rapture. Look in verse number 2 of, of Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 2. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This writer has something connected with Satan, because in verse 4, war follows him, famine follows in verse 5 and 6, death and hell in verse number 8. In verse number 9, he's found killing people who believe the word of God. Look in verse number 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Verse number 9 tells us that he's killing those that, that, are, uh, that are believing during this time. And his ministry ends up in, in verse 17 with the great day of God's wrath. Who shall be able to stand? This is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse number three. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. When there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and it was given unto him a great sword. Now, this would be the, the beast would be the calf of Revelation 4, verse number 7. And we don't know a lot about this beast or, or about this horse. Obviously he's red and red is important because we know that Satan is said to be a red dragon. We know this beast is going to rise up out of the sea and it's connected with that color red. We know that red is the sun and the moon is going to be turned uh, uh, red like blood at some point in the future. We know that there's other things that red's connected not only with Satan, but it's a sign of the Pharisees in Matthew 16, verse 2 and 3. It's connected with bloodshed. The Bible says our sins are like scarlet, and yet they should be white as snow. But what follows this man, this rider on this horse, after the calf and the seal and all of the beast is open, is going to be war. That's what that great sword represents is war. And as much as I wish I could stand here tonight and say that in the future there's not going to be any wars, there's just going to be harmony and peace. Well, let me back up. Yes, that's going to happen. But that's not going to happen to here. Between here and here, actually between here, because we've not been ratcheted out yet, the worst wars this world has ever seen is still on the horizon. If the Bible's true, and I believe it's true tonight. 
That means when they said the Lord ain't all wars, and then World War II happened, the war did not end all wars. We've had nothing but wars and conflicts scattered throughout America's history, and right now we've got interest in places all around the globe, but I'm telling you that the worst wars are yet to happen, and that's why you better make sure you know whose side you're on. I want to make sure I'm on the winning side when it happens. And the winning side is God's side. When the war breaks out of this world, I'm glad I know who I'm trusting tonight. War is going to come. People that study war history will tell you that it's almost as if the world is past due for warfare. I'm not trying to be one of these preachers of doom and gloom and hellfire and damnation and all of that, but I'm being honest with you. Uh, the, the nations of the world are on the edge. They're on the brink. You've got places like North Korea. That guy there is as nutty as they come. I'm being honest tonight. Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is. Il on which one? I always get him confused. I'm not making this stuff up. They interviewed him with Dennis Rodman, his good friend. I mean, if you really want to know uh, his diplomacy, did you realize that Dennis Rodman, have you seen Dennis Rodman? That, that's who goes and does diplomacy, and he's like an ambassador for us to North Korea. Uh, but, uh, but Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is, he said that his pastime, his favorite thing to do, I'm not making this up, is watch Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. Remember Looney Tunes? Abadabada. That's all, folks. Can you imagine there's a leader of a country right now that he, he's got his finger on, on, on nuclear war. You know, he, he could just pull a trigger if he wants to. And he, his favorite thing to do in his spare time is watch Looney Tunes. It's because he is Looney Tunes. You got, you've got guys uh, all around the world that, uh, uh, that are just on the edge. They come out, they don't even hide it anymore. Places like Iran comes out and says that we want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And the world won't even blink. Don't even bat an eye. They said we want to kill every Jew. We want to destroy Israel. And nobody even says a word about it. War is coming to this world. Whether you like it or not, it is coming. And so what happens in verse number four is bloodshed. It's followed by bloodshed. Look at verse number five. This third beast is like a man. That would be the beast. That speaks to John here in verse number 5. When he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of, of, of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. This rider here is connected with family. He's got scales in his hands, old balances. I'm sure you've seen the image that's on every courthouse or, you know, lawyers practice and things like that. It's the balance in their hand. There's a, you know, a, a picture of, of, you know, Lady Liberty or something like that. She's got the balances in her hand and she's got a blindfold over her eyes. Well, he's got the balances in his hand. If this is running through the years of the tribulation, although it's, it spans out through all of these vials and all that's involved here, the trumpets, this would take us about three years into the tribulation. There's only seven years that are there. By the time the black horse rider shows up and famine is following him, the world is at an absolute state of utter chaos. Uh, what follows this famine are things that we cannot comprehend. We had a little taste during this COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic where we couldn't get things like toilet paper like we normally could and Lysol and hand sanitizer. Uh, but, you know, I never went to a store, no matter how unstocked the shelves were, that there wasn't still food there. Now, it may not have been food that you really wanted. There wasn't T-bone steaks and... You know, there, there wasn't good ground beef or something like that, but there was still food on the shelves. And a lot of perishables were still there. Fruits, vegetables, things like that. Uh, I never went to a store, even though things were cleaned up, but I didn't see bologna. And hey, bologna ought to be its own food group, amen? <laughs> Fry some bologna up. 
and put some mustard on it is how I like to eat it. There's not much better than a good fried bologna sandwich. Uh, and y'all didn't realize how country we are when we eat fried bologna. Hey, I take it from that. I eat pickled bologna. Anybody here ever had pickled bologna before? A couple? Well, don't mock it till you try it. You might like it. But uh, pickled bologna is huge up in Kentucky and that part of the country. Uh, but there's, there's all kinds of, you know, suits and, and things like that that were there. Uh, during the days of the Great Depression and during the days of the Dust Bowl and places like that, there, there was famines in America and, and things that have happened to that extent. But we don't really know true famine in this generation. We know what it is to not be able to get to our favorite restaurants when we want to. And even then, a lot of them were still open and you could still do curbside. But we didn't know what it's like to go through true famine. But the famine that's coming to this world when this horse rider shows up is the worst famine this world has ever seen. The food will literally be divided by measure and will be sold for extravagant prices. Now to put this in perspective tonight, I want you to look at a place in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, I want you to look in the Old Testament if I can find my own reference tonight where I wrote it down. 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter number 6. Now I want to show you how bad some of the famines got in biblical times. Uh, there's famines got so bad where cannibalism became normal. There was famines in, in biblical times where mothers were eating their own children. And I know that's gory and stuff like that. I don't try to tell you that to be that way. But it is in the Bible and it's a fact of history and that stuff went on. And that's a, a horrible, horrible thing. If you ever saw uh, images of Auschwitz and uh, a lot of the concentration camps that were there, you saw what people really experienced with true famine. They looked like walking skeletons. Their skin was stuck to their skeletal system. You could count every rib and see their hips sticking out. And, and they knew what it was to go without food. But if you look in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it. Until an ass's head, we say donkey now, but uh, was sold for four score pieces of silver. The head of a donkey. And to put that in perspective, that's big bucks for the head of a donkey. When's the last time you got craving a head of a donkey? And a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. I've been hungry. But almost never have I been hungry that it wasn't by choice. I skipped the meal because I didn't want to eat or something else was going on or I was fasting or something. I don't think I've ever went a single day in my life without having some kind of food if I wanted. Can you imagine dove's dung, bird's poop, is something that people were paying exorbitant prices for, paying with silver just to get something to eat that they wanted, bird poop, and a donkey's head. Now, when I went to Kazakhstan there, uh, they, they would eat horse head, and that was a delicacy. Aluna didn't, but the, the Kazakh people there. You go out with meat markets, you don't have, uh, it may have changed now, but back in those days, uh, you didn't have, uh, you know, everything has that little uh, plastic wrap around it like we have here in America, and you don't see any blood in your meat and things here in America, and everything's got a little bag around it, and it's all clean. Over there, it's an open-air meat market. Flies, gnats, bugs, heat, smells, everything. You don't get a little cute little plastic Walmart bag. You bring your own bag to put it in there. And people will take the meat, handle it, look at it, and smell it, and put it back down, and go to something else and take that meat, hold it up, and look at it, and if they can afford it, and, and just lay out. And, uh, and you'd see sometimes horses' heads that were being sold out there, and they'd buy that. But the point there in 2 Kings, just one of the many examples of famine in the Bible, was the point where that was only what people could request, what they could get their hands on. And even then, it was only the wealthy that could afford those things that we would consider absolutely revolting and disgusting. 
And yet that's the same thing that's coming to this world. The food is going to be divided by measure and some of it will, uh, some say it, it was the equivalent when it talks about, go back and look what it says. It says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. But that was the daily ration. That was the daily payment of a Roman soldier. So if you were a Roman soldier, your pay for the day would have been, you would have got to take home with you a measure of wheat and three measures of barley for a penny. Now he also talks about, see thou heart not the oil and the wine. And something that's really interesting here is those words of oil and wine occur a lot of times in the Bible and certainly in places that relate to prophecy. We've got two big regions that are mentioned in Revelation uh, one is a place, the Middle East, obviously around Israel, that is connected with oil. The Middle East, that's what they do. They produce oil. And so you've got here a reference that's talking about don't hurt the oil. It very well could be a prophetic reference to something going on in the Middle East. And the wine goes back to what we'll look at in the future when we get to this woman that shows up. And this scarlet woman riding on the beast. And it talks about the city that she's riding in and where she's coming from. And there's no mistake about it. Any historian knows the city that sits on seven hills is Rome. And Rome is in Italy. And Italy is connected with wine and the production of wine. The biggest wine producers probably in the world. And those two places, those two geographic locations are going to play roles in the future. And they already play roles in the present with the oil and the wine. But we'll save all that for later. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell. A death, and hell followed him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast's of the field. Now this fourth beast would be connected with the eagle. We know the name of this writer though because it's found in Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 14. If you're in Revelation just go back to the left. You don't have to go but a handful of pages to the book of Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse number 14. Here Paul says for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Look at the next part. That is the devil. Ultimately, I don't believe anybody can die without the permissive will of God. But somehow or another, death, that power was handed over to Satan. Now, Satan operates under the permissive will of God. He can do nothing without uh, uh, the will of God. Uh, and that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek statement because I don't want you to leave here and say, well, the, well God's behind this and why, you know, he can stop the devil. And those are things that we all struggle with. But the point is God is God and Satan is Satan and Satan has a free will. And God knows what's going to happen because he knew Satan from the very beginning and he also knows his doom and his end where he's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and forever. So he knows Satan's plans. He knows Satan's future. God's all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. He knows more than the, probably any other creature that God's ever made, but he's not all-knowing. But when Jesus rose again, remember it says when he rose again, he rose with the keys of death and hell. He now has victory. That's why we can say in 1 Corinthians 15, when the church is going to be raptured out, those that are alive and remain, if it happened right now, we'd be the ones that could say, death, where is thy sting? No grave, where is thy victory? Because we didn't have to die. You'll be translated in a moment, twinkling of an eye. You don't have to die and then go out to a cemetery. You're translated. You're present, absent from the body and present with the Lord. But we know that this writer is connected with death. And do you know that's why to this day, you ever wonder why death, when they, when they personify death in cartoons and in movies, it's always a guy that, you know, a creature that's wearing this long black robe type thing and he's got a sickle in his hand. You ever wonder about that? They get that from Revelation. 
That's the one that's here. He opens that fifth seal and he sees, uh, I mean, he opens that fourth seal. And he sees the pale horse rider and death follows him. Hell follows him. And he's given power to kill them on the earth. It says a quarter, a fourth part of the earth to kill with these things. The sword, that would be warfare, bloodshed. You know, that could be governments that are killing their own people. Uh, that can be imprisonments, you know, torture and death. There's all of that that's going on to those that aren't following the system. Uh, death, uh, the sword, hunger that's connected with this famine that's coming to this world. And death and the beast of the earth. Now, I'm going to have to wind it down right here. But if you took the population, where did I make my mark here? I'm looking at my own notes sometimes and I can't remember some of my own notes. Here it is. If you took the population of the United States, you're talking about uh, the world. One quarter of the population, the Bible says, is going to die during this time. The whole world, boy, I hesitate to say this. People are going to take this the wrong way. Do not take this the wrong way. You're going to take it the wrong way. Don't take it the wrong way. But the whole world is upset because one person got killed two weeks ago. Now, I'm not saying one thing. I'm just making a point. So everybody remember that. Don't leave here saying anything I didn't say. But look how one person's death turned all America upside down. On September 11, 2001, what was it? About 2,000, I think, that died that day. The two twin towers and... The attack on the Pentagon and out in Pennsylvania, and the whole world upside down over those that died. If you found out that a quarter of the population of the world would die during this time, you're talking over three million people would die. Three million deaths. Our mind can't boggle that. Our mind cannot fathom that. No wonder the Bible says when this happens, they'll be burying the dead for years. It says they'll be buried. An interesting note I'll end on this is it says that the beasts of the earth are going to turn on people. Which, you know, Hollywood, again, isn't too far-fetched, too far off, because uh, how many movies is about that kind of stuff? I mean, everybody likes the Twilight stuff or... You know, animals, uh, people become half animals and all that kind of thing. And then they say that Revelation can't be true, but then they believe all that stuff in Hollywood. But the animals are going to turn on people. Uh, I mentioned before the night of the living dead. Well, Alfred Hitchcock made a movie about the birds. Remember that? Imagine all the cats and the dogs and you know, animals at the zoo and everything else all of a sudden is not friendly and tame and they turn. The point that the Bible's making is with each one of these seals that's opening up the white, the red, the black, the pale horse, when they come out, the events that are going to happen are the worst events this world has ever known. And although I believe firmly tonight that we are living in the last days, we're in the last of the last days. We have not got to this place. We have not got to where the Antichrist has showed up yet. But it's getting close. It's getting close. We've got an election coming up, and, and I'm not going to be political, but we've got an election coming up, and it'll be a pivotal election. I mean, every election is, but it'll certainly be a pivotal election for our, our nation. Uh, and I don't preach party lines and things like that. I trust if you believe the Bible, then you'll try to support candidates that support biblical teachings and things like that as best as possible. And it's hard nowadays. Sometimes it's the lesser of evil sometimes. Amen? Uh, but look at the chaos that's in the world right now. We've got pandemics going on. We've got riots going on. We've got police departments that are shutting down and being defunded right now. We got people that are in absolute anarchy against the government, against their, their communities. And it's like the whole world is going crazy. And it's going to get worse, unfortunately. And then somebody's got to have an answer. 
Well, I can go ahead and tell you the Democrats aren't going to have it, the Republicans aren't going to have it, and the Independents aren't going to have it, the Tea Party's not going to have it. But there's going to come somebody who's going to have it. At least it's going to seem like it. And he's going to be able to solve all the virus problems. He's going to be able to solve all the Middle East issues and the crisis with the, you know, all the things going on like that. He's going to be able to solve and resolve all the differences between religions and between races and between belief systems and between economies of the world and all these different things. And he's going to be able to unite everything together. But what will follow, like I said earlier, will be the worst things this world has ever known. We'll get into the rest of chapter 6 Wednesday night. Does anybody have a question about anything I tried to cover tonight? I didn't give a whole lot, I know, but anybody have a question about anything I try to talk about tonight? Don't go home and say, well, I had a question I didn't ask. If I don't know, I'll just tell you, I don't know. What did you say the 3 million would mean? Would that have been The 3 million, it says there in a, it says a quarter of the population. Uh, Go back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 8. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, so that's a quarter, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. So a quarter of the earth is going to be killed by those things. So you just have to do the math. My calculation, the last notes I've got, it may be higher or lower. I don't know what the population is tonight. So you just take the population and try to figure out a, what would be a, a quarter of that. And if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, and that, that's how many will die during this time. I just quickly looked it up. Okay, what would be a quarter of seven and a half billion? Okay, two billion. What was it? You said million. Two billion? Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah, my numbers are off. <laughs> Don't ask me to do your taxes. Uh, yes. Okay, the, under the book of Revelation, is that the seven years for that period of time? Yes. Okay. This, and, and it's, it's listing this chronologically because that's how the chapters follow. The chapters, you know, six, and you get seven and eight, then, then all the way up to chapter 20. And so it's laying it out like this, and again, nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure, but the best guess that I've ever found is that it's retelling the same events four times, like the Gospels tell the same thing four times. And either way, it's not going to make a big difference, but that's how it's laid out, as if it's telling the same thing. That's why you have these four writers spanning this whole seven years. So whether or not that's true, I, I don't know. But it seems to kind of flow that way, and it would make sense that way, that it's telling the same events through four different perspectives. Uh, God ha does that a lot, where he does things in repetition to teach truths, and so, I mean, it, it may be that way. Uh, but this, is, this would be the beginning of uh, when the rapture takes place. That's something else nobody knows. We don't know if it, the moment the rapture happened, if it happened right this second, does the tribulation start today? Does it start tomorrow? Is there a couple years in between? You know, I don't know. I don't see anything. That, it almost sounds like it, it runs with one another. It's like one thing leads to the next. Which brings up, I didn't get it tonight, but if you look in verse 14, this is some of the war that's come to this world. Verse 14 says, and the heavens departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Okay, the only thing that makes sense, I, I have a good friend that's a B-52 pilot. And uh, that's what they do is they deliver nuclear bombs if they need to, a nuclear payload. And the only thing that makes sense of uh, the scroll, when it, I, I'm not good at drawing this, but if you ever see uh, an atom bomb go off, a nuclear bomb, it's like the scroll when it's rolling together. That's why they call it a mushroom cloud. And if you see it, it's just, it just looks like two ends of a scroll that are just rolling in the sky like that. And uh, we'll get into that Wednesday night. The Second Peter 3, 10 and 12 talks about the same thing. It talks about the heavens are going to melt with the fervent heat. Zechariah 14, 12 says when this event happens, it'll 
their eyes will melt up out of their sockets and their tongue out of their socket while they stand on their feet just like a nuclear bomb goes off. Uh, but we, we don't know. It, it could coincide with this event. It could be warfare that starts this. It could be a nuclear war that triggers a rapture. We don't know. But the scriptures seem to indicate that it's going to be a It'll be something worse than a nuclear war, that's for sure. Anybody else? Well, I'm sorry to kept you so long tonight. Thank you for uh, listening and for uh, for coming out to our Bible studies, and, and I appreciate your input. Uh, we're going to get into the rest of this chapter, chapter 6, like I just mentioned. That's the sixth seal that deals with uh, anarchy that's coming to the world. The stars are going to fall, the... Uh, the warfare that's falling, uh, that's befalling the earth. Uh, we're going to deal with the souls that are slain. Uh, that deals with kind of body, soul, and spirit. Because a soul, you are a soul even though you're a body. We see the body tonight of all of us. But the soul is in there. And the soul, even without the body, it says can speak. It tells us that the souls can uh, remember. It says that the souls um, can wear a robe. So your soul so looks like your body that it, uh, you wouldn't know the two different from one another. Uh, we're just, we're like seeds. And so the real us is inside. That's why they used to say when they bury someone, they planted them. You ever hear people talk about that? They planted somebody. Uh, because that's the picture of the first fruits and the harvest. And we're going to resurrect, but that soul is in there. And so we'll get into that Wednesday night. Anything else before we close? If not, let's dismiss in a word of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for your word that liveth and abideth forever. Lord, I profess tonight that many things I read, I, I struggle, Lord, to, uh, with my belief to understand and to fully believe what your word says. But in faith, I want to believe it, and I do believe it tonight. You said, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So build up our faith, Lord. Increase our faith in your word. And Lord, as we look at these things, we don't want to teach or, or talk about them to frighten or scare or alarm anyone unless they're lost. Lord, we do want them to get saved and trust you as their Savior before it's too late. But Lord, if anything, may this give us hope. And that's why it's called the blessed hope of the believer. To know that the events that are coming to this world, uh, Lord, you've spared us. You've, you've saved us from it. You've uh, not uh, permitted us to, to take part of the wrath that is to come. But no matter what comes our way, by life or by death or the coming of the Lord, Lord, we've got something better that awaits all of us. I thank you for that hope that we have tonight, those comforting words that you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight.